0: Hello, everybody. It's Martin Keenan here talking to this time Sinead Horgan. Now, Sinead works in the School of Midwifery at the College of Medicine and University College Cork and in the Department of Nursing and Midwifery, South Southwest Hospital Group. And Sharon has a bit of a journey to talk to me about um, surgical site infection surveillance and uh, some studies she's been doing recently. So, welcome, Sinead. Thanks very much for sparing the time to have a chat to me.
1: Well, thanks for the invite. I'm greatly honoured. And, and listening to your podcast now it's it's really good very informative
0: yeah the surgical site infection ones have been very very popular and um it's it's clearly a hot topic i mean you have you won the uh, Best Poster Abstract at the uh, IPCI conference last week in Dublin as well, which is quite nice to see. So people clearly are recognising yeah. that's all of conflict there. I was one of the judges, but there we are. Um, so how did you yeah. get firstly engaged in surgical site infection and you know what led you down this path that you've been on for a few years now?
1: Yeah, I suppose my background really was surgical. Um, you know For many years, I worked up through the ranks in theatres um, across a few hospitals here in the south of Ireland as CNM uh, as well I suppose firsthand I could see infection there from that post I went into a national post with a local remit for sepsis here in Ireland so you can see there the surgical and the sepsis piece keeping mm-hmm. it so forth. For, set, for the last seven years, I suppose, I've been doing audits in the hospital on the wards. And I suppose you're acutely aware of the surgical returns and of, um, you know, the, the crisis of sepsis. And that the problem, even though we think it's there, we're, we never really can quantify it of those patients that are suffering from infection after surgery. Um, so my interest started there, I suppose. Back in 2017, the opportunity um, arose to do a PhD in, and I felt that this was an area from my background that um, infection with surgery mix and preventing sepsis, I suppose. And looking then, I suppose I, I had the opportunity to go over to Public Health England and to one of those training sessions in 2017 with Pauline Harrington, you know, the mm-hmm. on SSI. And I could see from the room and what was going on nationally there and I just felt we were a little bit more behind I suppose in Ireland that there wasn't that engagement and there of even firstly collecting data and then seeing the huge work they were doing around quality improvement I suppose a bit of envy crept in really I you know (laughs) now I knew from I knew from talking to health protection here in Ireland that that there was a plan to move forward with this but then of course, you know what happened over the last few years with the COVID pandemic, I suppose we were set back a little bit. So that's really the background to it. I suppose there was a national aim at the time under Health Protection to, to next look at surgical site infection and to start collecting data and then the rest would follow. Now we're under AMRIC and AMRIC have a plan here in Ireland, which really was great, welcomed really, their 22 to 25 action plan, which first says that we're going to look at fractured hips and then followed by cesarean sections. So um, I had done a little bit of work locally here. So you know yourself, you you can't beat having national policy guiding what you're doing. And um, even though I was looking to literature and, and the guidance that's in the NHS and, and ECDC and CDC, you can't beat that national Uh, push now as well. So that brought me to that and I suppose I have done two systematic reviews and the first one on the impact of quality improvement initiative on uh, the knowledge and attitudes of healthcare workers, healthcare professionals in relation to surgical site infection and prevention and the second uh, systematic review was on the impact of quality improvement intervention on the incidence of surgical site infection in colorectal patients.
0: Can we talk briefly about the attitudes ones? I mean, you're saying knowledge is poor. Do do you think that's because people don't recognize infection if they're working in that field? Because many people who, you know, when you you know yourself, I've worked in theatre, you don't actually often see most infections because they'd be dealt with on the ward or you know by GPs yeah. and and it's only the most sig- significant ones that actually come back uh, into into theatre. So do you think there's a recognition yes. amongst people who actually are involved in preventing infection in recognising that it exists?
1: When you look at um, knowledge and attitudes, I think you can't just look at one cohort. And sometimes if you just look at theatre, exactly what you confirm there, you only know what you see. Whereas I think surgical on the surgical floor or in outpatients, the knowledge and attitudes are that bit different because um, they see these rumbling infections that possibly wouldn't go back to theatre or they're Mm -hmm. redressing wounds that go on for a continued... Like, I think from the literature review and from the research I did on knowledge and attitudes, they both more or less reflect each other where attitude, nobody wants their patients to get an infection Mm. Um, and attitudes are generally good. Whereas knowledge is pockets. You know, if you're talking to infection control nurses, they seem to be a a variant there to the maybe theater nurse or to the, you know, the, the doctor or to the GP. In relation to knowledge, knowledge generally is poor. We don't use the terminology um, that's there. We don't classify as we should do. And sometimes even that conversation, and I know everyone that's been involved in surgical site will recognize this, that conversation with a surgeon who says, no, that's a collection. Um, and you're kind of saying, Well, (laughs) if you look at it, you drained it, you sent a sample, it came back as positive. Hence, it is an infection and that debate, you know, uh, so um, knowledge, even in front of somebody is poor, even having all, you know, having all the criteria in front of you. So I think the whole quality improvement aspect of it is we talk about quality improvement as if we're going to introduce something wonderful and it's something wonderful is going to come out of it. But something wonderful is discussion is something Mm. wonderful is. Is teasing a particular case out to get to a kind of a common ground where that understanding is there, and it's building on that understanding. And I know anyone that, and you're including yourself, that have had those conversations. Even if you are chasing someone down the corridor, saying, "Look, it looks like a duck. It acts like a duck. It's a duck." Um, (laughs) That that's that's that you know um, that that's that conversation is quality improvement and is interventions that come out of having data so we know that surveillance on its own like i think another thing is knowledge of what surveillance is surveillance i think when we think of surveillance we think of oh you watch something but of course the definition of surveillance is you watch something you see what you found but you act on it and Mm. that's the last aspect of the definition of surveillance but i think like if, if you were going to do surveillance on something, anything other than infection, surveillance, I I think most of us think it's just collecting and watching. Um, and it's so much more than that.
0: Mm. How did you manage to get it implemented then in your organisation? Because you say it's not a common thing in Ireland. Um, so you're starting from scratch nationally, effectively. So how did you manage to get you know people on board? How did you go about that?
1: And you see, that's it. And I think that, you know, Carol May, he's that normalization process theory and, and you know, drawing on theory and going back and looking at theory. And when you read it, they say, you know, uh, Carol and Finch, that you need cohesion, you need collaboration, you need cohesiveness. And that's exactly what everything I've been involved in that's been successful, I suppose, even if it's sepsis or surgical site, has been that having the right people at the table, having mm. people that have a common interest and common ground. And I think that you can't achieve any of this unless you have that. And how do you get people to the table? I didn't. First day, I didn't. I got the first meetings I had on the project I rang in the hospital here. There was about five people came to it. Mm. And they ran over an 18-month period. And the room was full by the end because I think... The key thing here is and looking back on it is engage with those that engage with you. And once yeah. you start working with them, it's word of mouth. It's slow, but it's word of mouth, and it's and then it's the quality. Like if someone had told me, and I, I said this before, that when I started this project up there in that hospital around the colorectal piece, and now we've done further hospitals since, and I've been able to replicate what I did in the first hospital. In other hospitals, it is actually going and doing a retrospective look at what you have, creating that problem statement. But you're, I'm always shocked at what you set out to do first day is never done in the process you th- imagine it will be done in. And, I, and, and starting out up there, it was solely Mr to reduce SSI rates and to engage with others to do so. And I had in my head that oh we'll 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 introduce this we'll bring in a care bundle whatever, and I had all these ideas assumptions in my head that this would go as I thought, but what we ended up doing was doing a patient information booklet, hmm. and 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 it's because yeah but it was a, it's a 48 page patient booklet now it it's part of our intervention that is continuously improving patient outcomes which is great but. It's that sitting down with everyone, and it was everyone deciding together, we need a booklet. We need the patients to be more informed about every aspect of it, of their care and their perioperative journey. In the back of the booklet is information on wound care and the post-discharge questionnaire, but it's about so much more. So we don't all work in silos, we work together. And that's what brought everyone on board. The physiotherapist wanted their bit. And their contribution on inter- reducing SSI, mobilizing, you know, the dietitian wanted her bit to, you know, and her team's influence in on it, on how a good nutrition can prevent surgical site infection. And then the other allied health professionals came to the door. Then the antimicrobial pharmacist wanted to put in a bit. But then the, her colleague, the pharmacist on DVTs, wanted to put in a bit. And then <laughs> it was... So they're all coming to, to you. This now, is...
0: This is what my daughter would yeah. call FOMO or fear of missing out, isn't it? You know, fear when, when of everything... missing out. Mm.
1: But you know, there's challenges there too. And um, while it was fantastic, the colorectal surgeon who was a big, big influencer in this, and he was positive or amazing negative, and a, oh, a positive, positive. Oh. He was a champion for this. He was. Oh, How, you, however, you, you but, but however, we are challenged. I think going forward because. They are interested in their own cohort, but having um, a lead to collectively look within a hospital, a surgeon, um, you'd want the, the lead of the surgeons to be the driver, someone that can influence every cohort and ensure that they are at the table of course, the, the lead
0: doesn't have to be the person who's named as the lead, because I've I've seen medical directors who go for the job of medical director, but they're not necessarily the best leader. They've just been no. somebody's apply no. for that job. So actually, your colorectal surgeon, who's being a fantastic advocate, possibly is the de facto leader in that he's got enthusiasm, which may be transmitted to others. Did you find that?
1: Definitely, because I think once we started with colorectal, uh, cardiothoracic came soon knocking at the door. Hmm. We like what you're doing you know having said that those that probably have a problem we don't see them coming very often you know but I think this is a rolling effect I think once it starts it takes off and uh, but it's sustaining that model and I suppose that was one of the 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 key things I suppose that I mean we look at the barriers and the enablers for this and I think trucks and has a, that lovely paper on, you know, the hierarchy and all of the things that affect rolling out a project such as this or an initiative such as this in a hospital.
0: So, so which which paper was that again? Because the sound just went slightly then.
1: Rachel Trockton. I love that paper. Okay. It talks about the enablers and the barriers, you know, for and it's a qualitative research, and I, I thought that was a, just a, a great paper. It, it lends into also leads into findings from my systematic review which are you know and this is everyone in the, is nodding at this I imagine you have to sustain it you have to have a facilitator you mm-hmm. have to have that engagement and you know you have to have management buy-in driving this from top down and you have to have the floor engaging in it but I think the engagement piece I found, even when we did C-sections across two hospitals here, engagement from people isn't a problem. As I always say, nobody wants their patient to get an infection. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you find attitudes. And in the research I did, attitudes were very good. It was the knowledge that was lacking. And okay. the, the questions I would have asked about were, you know, you know, the classification of SSI, the, um, uh, the wound contamination classification, that's huge. That's new to people. And, mm. and I know you're in the journey a long time, and I'm sure from listening to your colleagues um, that getting that across the line is big. That's a, that's a PDSA introducing that. You need a facilitator to drive those bits to get... Because it's only through collecting the risk index um, and all the, the variables that we can actually create a picture and support surgeons, I think. Selling that was a big thing. So, telling surgeons, you know, if we have the risk index, it kind of explains your patients, the cohort part mm. you, you have. It, 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 you know, and they like that actually, because it moves away from that blame that it's you, you the surgeon, you're, you, you did something wrong or your theaters did something wrong. It actually creates a picture of our patients and what we're seeing now older patients, sicker patients, patients on suppressed medication, patients like not only is quality improvement around SSI complex but the patients are complex. Getting yeah, I mean do you, do you think more, having, more having that complex. risk
0: factor do you think having that risk factor information actually makes them more likely to make sure they've implemented all aspects of a bundle knowing just how risky yes. a patient has?
1: yeah now i see that and um, we have electri- electronic uh, patient record in two sites here and they do see the value because it does it doesn't let them move on when they're writing the off note unless they put in their uh, clean clean contaminated you know that needs to be put in and i think once you explain it to them you see them a light bulb going off that this helps them because mm. and then explaining your risk adjustment thereafter so you have your infection rate And you have your risk adjusted infection rate. That's critical, you know. And I think that piece, too, of engaging surgeons, especially when it comes to teaching and, uh, I suppose, publications, they all should have an interest in their 30-day mortality and their 30-day infection rate. I mean, these are their key performance indicators, really, you know, so Mm. it's
0: but if they don't if they don't know what the rate is, it's difficult to be interested in it, isn't it? I mean, there obviously no mortality, but if they hadn't previously known the infections, now you're giving them new information. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How's how's that gone now? You know, you've, you've managed to provide them more information. You've got positive change in knowledge, would you say? Yeah. Because the attitude was good anyway.
1: The the attitude was good. The attitude um, just improved slightly, significantly in two areas where the staff now realize in a in the post intervention that yes we monitor our patients whereas before it was just a little bit less you know and yes we follow up and we um are collecting information on our patients after they leave so um sorry i went off the point there you asked um
0: well it was, it was the change in you know the, the the positive effect of having this information you know how has that translated into changes in practice maybe or changes in bundle compliance or changes in infection rate?
1: You see I suppose we were in um, at the beginning here but the infection rates when we started um, and there's a paper on this we've published this um, for colorectal was 25.3 and we didn't have a post-discharge on that but you- colorectal. So it could be underestimated. So then a year later, we redid it after starting surveillance and some small changes, and it came down to 15.4. And then we introduced Mm. um, the booklet and other elements, newer elements to the care bundle. And then it brought up, come down again to 11.4. So when you Mm. have that improvement rate it does bring about okay we're doing something good here this is good we're on to something and i think it's that gap that's there in clinical practice that where yeah. you know when they can tangibly when they can see improvements that that it, it, it's
0: a confidence equals success yes. spiral yes. almost, isn't it it takes me back actually to many many years ago I used to navigate on road rallies and I was running near the back of the field. And one night a guy who was running right at the front of the field said, my navigator can't do it. Can we do this? And I did it. And, we finished, I think, third. And we had been running car one. And I'd never finished in the top 30. Yeah. And he, afterwards, he said, right, now you have the confidence. And he just drew on a piece of paper, the word success, confidence, draw an arrow, a double-headed arrow going in both directions. Yeah. And I never finished out of the top five again. Oh, <laughs> again, yeah. Just because I suddenly believed I but I I believed yeah. I could do it. And, and that's what you have, isn't it? They, they see success. Yes. And now they think they want to try even harder. So yes. it's a, it's like a snowball coming down a hill, isn't it?
1: Oh, it is. And it's like... But I do think that's why it's complex. And it's, uh, you know, these complex interventions we talk about, it is complex because it it never happens unless all the cogs are going, you know, and okay, you Mm. can manage without one or two, but true success if they're all moving in the end, you know, but I think it's that the facilitator piece, the national policy management in, involvement and that drive. Um, and I think the one piece we keep forgetting here, I suppose, is the patient participation. And all the literature now says we should be including our patients. I mean, we should know how our patients get on when they get home. We provide a service. Yeah. We we need to follow up with them. And what I found over the last few years is uh, I, I remember we at one stage, the end of last year, we rang 717 ladies post section over a week or so period and it was just astounding the delight to be contacted you know it was great to hear from mm, you you know mm. or and, and it's great that you want to know how we're getting on you know because i suppose you have these prima gravitas going home and and they've been monitored so closely weekly towards the end of their pregnancy and it was just there was that delight and we we came away from it thinking one of the big lessons here is hearing back from them and then what we didn't expect it to be doing we, were, we, we rang them with the intention of finding out how their wound was but we found ourselves jotting down the team were fantastic and thank you for this and it would be great if we were seen back I wasn't sure what to do with my wound it would be lovely to have a brochure or a, a, and it's these kind of interactions that inform they're telling us well, how we could do better and that's what we want to know Tell us how we can do better. And taking the patient's perspective on board is, I think, will it 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 drives um further success, gives you confidence because Um, as you say that confidence and and the success piece, that you're confident Mm -hmm. that the patients want this, and and if the patient wants it, it has to be successful if you deliver on it.
0: I mean what were they able to give you in feedback then, in a not not having to make a complaint way about negative aspects, things that could be improved, in a sort of a safe discussion, rather than that wasn't very good and here's a really angry letter to the chief exec or something like that?
1: Yeah, you see, and I suppose you know be- being like i work in the south southwest hospital group which is i I suppose akin to a trust you know so there's 10 hospitals in it Mm -hmm. so i mean it's the the onus is on each of us to take the feedback and and to do something with it it can't just be about a patient is speaking to us about our service so yes we've taken any um complaints back and we actually um for a number of people in all cohorts we've looked at We've gotten organized appointments for them to come back in if, we, if there's something we're concerned about, because, and I mean, mm. you are. But it's rare. You know, I wouldn't let that put people off. And we've fed back the positive feedbacks. I think that's really important. You know, so, yes, we've made posters mm. out of feedback with just captions. The positive and the negative are in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one of the negatives yeah. is um, really with all cohorts is we could be seen more often and um, would have loved to see the mm. the surgeon a few weeks later. That option wasn't given to me, told to go back to GP. And I suppose a bit of a disconnect. And I suppose the key thing for me, I suppose, in relation to surgical site is there was that disempowerment that they did not have the knowledge. And um, we should be giving them more knowledge on wounds. We should be like, and, you know, mm. and, you know, the opposite side as well. A red wound isn't always an infection. And being put on an antibiotic in this day and age, possibly by an out-of-hours GP or just to be sure, I suppose, is we need to be doing our bit from the hospital side to make the patients more aware that a red wound is a healing wound as well, you know, that... Uh, Red right at the edge yeah, of the yeah. wound is a healing wound
0: again that's about it's about education isn't it, it let, is, making yeah. sure that people actually understand ex- the whole process all the way through really. yeah yeah okay that's been fascinating um, you know and um you know we're, we're, what's next for you now well Where are suppose, you going next
1: yeah so um i i'm a director of nursing in the south south west hospital group and my remit is deteriorating patient i suppose incorporating sepsis Uh, surgical site infection and I do the vaccinations legacy now from flu and that but I suppose I just would like to finish my PhD this year to be fair Um, (laughs) and what's next for me I am passionate about surgical site um, infection and I'm delighted to be part of the Surgical Site Infection Initiative, run there by Lillian, where uh, I hope I say her name right, a passionate lady, and you did. yes, and it's nice to be. <laughs> Very. It's nice to be involved in that, and because learning so much from that, and I hope to help the Irish like-minded people to get more involved in mm-hmm. that. I suppose the next thing for me is hopefully. Um, we're running a masterclass here next month, and you have kindly agreed to facilitate a session in it. And this is the start of our journey as we open our minds. And I bring, you know, infection control nurses, surgical site nurses, and hopefully a few surgeons to the room to listen to the journey and that you've had and a few snippets of what's happening in our own hospitals. And we're just starting our journey here. We're learning from our colleagues and, and I think that's what it's all about, not to reinvent the wheel. Mm. It's uh,
0: continuous learning, isn't it? It is yeah. continuous
1: learning. And yeah. and it's learning from mm. the success stories. Like, I'm not incorrect here, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're at it over 20 years in the UK and um, we can learn so much from you. We're really excited about what's about to happen and hopefully we can catch up to you some way soon. Uh, yes, so, yes. Well, yeah
0: or even overtake Or oh, even overtake oh yes
1: yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, all all about oppor-
0: it's all about opportunity though isn't it, it, it? it's all about opportunity it, it, and here's a big opportunity to make a difference yeah,
1: yeah. and and amric um you know in ireland um um are, are you know engaging and they have put a clinical nurse um manager into each of our uh, six to seven regions here in ireland of trusts as you'd say um to help with roll out this which is very welcome um and uh so yeah watch this space we're, we're going to be doing a lot more here
0: okay that's been fantastic i've really enjoyed chatting to you as ever look forward to seeing more of your outputs and good luck with the rest of the phd and, and thanks very much for sharing the time well, thank you very much
1: yeah thanks mark